Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bresky, and I am the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action Wisconsin. And let's welcome our other panelists, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert, good to have you. Good morning, Matt. Good morning to our producer, Brian, who is always here that you don't hear his voice. It is absolutely gorgeous morning, and I often was saying during the summer, now that we're technically Robert into, I, I mean, I know technically it's still summer, but we're really into fall. This week is going to be absolutely gorgeous. It's going to be beautiful. Enjoy it because apparently fall is right around the corner, <laughs> but enjoy it. 80s and maybe we might even hit some 90s next week. It's going to be gorgeous out, people. Enjoy the end of summer and get out and do some doors. It's a gorgeous weekend to get out and talk to voters we will talk more about this later in the show, but we are off and launched in Green Bay. We're in Wausau canvassing. We are in Milwaukee and we're in Eau Claire, but we'll talk more about that later, folks. We got a lot to talk about. Robert, Marquette poll came out yesterday and I love talking about the Marquette law poll with you. Sometimes the Marquette law poll is less important than other times. Because we're in the run-up to an election, it's very important, Robert, and I'll just say this, because it is, as far as public perception, the defining poll in Wisconsin for statewide, statewide elections used to be other polls, actually. There's like, there's basically no competition to this poll, but it had some really important results that we want to talk to you about because we, we think it's critical. And so, Robert, I want to dive right into that talk about a number of other things, but let's just get right into the Marquette poll. Number one, it found that Governor Evers, essentially that race is unchanged. There's very little change. I think it's four points, right? Mandela Barnes, he was up seven in the previous Marquette poll. We talked about how we thought that this would go down and that this is a 50-50 state. Poll found that. It's basically a dead heat. Johnson, 49. Barnes, 48. Robert, I want to get your comments, but immediately about the the one thing that I walked away that was the defining thing, and that is, and that they talked about incessantly, and that is independent voters. And we thought that this would happen, that independent, undecided, which were strongly with Barnes, and even with Evers, that both of them saw a diminution of their support, but Barnes more particularly. And I'm not surprised, given the absolute awful ads that have been running for a month now, but it's a dead heat, Robert, your top takeaways from the Marquette poll. Well, I have to give disclaimers first, Matt. And so always Robert, you all that's, that's your number the, one job. The on margin poll. of error is 5.9%. I thought it was four and a half. Is it five? Maybe it's still yeah. large. Yeah, it's yeah, large. Yeah. Maybe it's four and a half. Let's say it's four and a half. So maybe it's 5.9 on some of the cross, uh, you know, the, the smaller. It's over questions. four. It's over so four. Let's put it this way. So from the standpoint of statistics done by actual social scientists, there is no difference between these polls. It's four points either way. OK. And so that's one thing to bear in mind. And what's scary is polls have become such news because the media doesn't want to really cover issues. They're too, they're too complicated and don't get enough clicks. Uh, that it, it defines a race. It has some sort of impact on the race. Yep. And that is very problematic. Look, Charles Franklin's a serious academic pollster. He knows all this, but his gig is to 
be the poll that everyone reports and it gets his employer, Marquette University Law School, out there. So anyway, there's that. There's the other thing is they're predicting who's voting and giving a sample of them. And they are often wrong. And Marquette has been wrong in 2016 and 2020, along with all the other polls. Uh, and so in other words, if, if we do a better job and there's more relative Democratic to Republican turnout, then these numbers change. If there's more Republican than being predicted, these numbers change in a bad way. So this poll is sort of designed, if you think about it, a way to overstate the role of independent voters and understate turnout, okay? Because it assumes turnout of each side is a given, determined, we're not sure exactly how, by Charles Franklin, you know, behind the black curtain, okay? That's the pollster. So having said that, uh, and also I think the August poll with Mandela up seven was an outlier. No other poll is found it that wide. So that was almost set up to create this kind of backlash. Having said that, a poll like this has more credence if you have large numbers beyond the margin of errors occurring in the poll and if it fits to what we also know about the campaign. And Matt, you laid it out, right? There's been this searing attack uh, Mandela's being badly outspent, even though he's spending a lot of money in every media market, with sleazy ads playing into people's fears that there are uh, that there that that that's going to be rampant crime and that there's going to be rampant, you know, scary immigration uh, because of Mandela Barnes' scary radical policies and racialized with other black faces like members of the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, quote unquote, squad. And so independent, and so you've had that, and then independence moved substantially. Again, I don't think he had a 15-point lead Mandela on independence in August. I think that poll is an outlier, but there's there's probably been substantial movement on independence. But remember, this tends, and this is the this is the Kool-Aid that the team Evers is on all the time. This poll makes you think everything's about independence. The impact of turnout on each base of Democrat and Republican is going to be bigger than any independent swing just in terms of uh, of impact on an election folks so, so don't lo don't don't lose sight of the ball but in a very close race this movement independence matters and we have to answer these girlish attacks look I Robert that's absolutely right and we have said this all along that it's our analysis is still an election about turnout and that that is going to be as important as any of this independent movement however, we want to tell you both of these matter and we're fighting on both of them. We as citizen action, and I think strategically we as progressives need to be thinking about this. It matters for us to go contend and contest those independents. Folks, we're doing that on the phones. I just want to say that we have a, we have been a full-time team, paid professional folks who do this work have been, doing these calls pretty much since the primary ended. We've been really focused, particularly in some very red areas. So we've been hearing this stuff. And so we're not surprised. And Robert, I hear everything you're saying about the polls. I do think the polls, and I do think Marquette, I think it might even be within some of the air, did pick up real movement on independence that we're not surprised. But folks, it's not, it's not hopeless. It's expected after the onslaught, Robert said, Right. Which is very real. But now the campaign is in full motion. And what we do, what we do, how we go out and start talking to people. 
go have conversations. So it's not just a one-sided argument on television, right? And it's not going to be. There's a lot to go, but we got to do it. It calls for our agency. And we also want to encourage you, if you have resources, please donate. We're trying to expand our paid program that is talking to these independent voters. We would like to add people so we can get to more of them. So I'll have a link in our podcast where you can go and donate. It'll go, all of that money will go directly to fund that program to that link. So please consider supporting that. We're also going to have a volunteer link. Get involved. We're on the doors in four places this weekend. We're on phones every Wednesday night, and we can put you on phones at any time you want. Folks, let's contest this. And a lot of what we're doing, particularly with volunteers, is what Robert talked about, what is not in this poll and what the poll is all about art. They try to be science, but it's an art to some extent, a mixture of the two, to try to figure out exactly what turnout is. And nobody really knows that, right? That's our agency. Robert? Yes. We we become spectators. Maybe it's because the TV age become the social media age, where people were sitting passively on couches being entertained to death, as Neil Postman, famous media critic, put it, and scholar, put it. But now we're our own pundits on social media, where, and, and somehow that that's doing something, right? And if you want a Mandela Barnes people run on a more progressive agenda to be stronger on crime and immigration, then we got a lot of organizing to do. Because Franklin Delano Rosa, when he told folks uh, like a Philip Randolph that you need to go out there and organize and make me do it, what he was saying is, I can't do it if the politics can't work. So what Mandela is saying is, I need to run a campaign that can beat Ron Johnson, and I can't pretend that public opinion is in a different place than it is at this moment, but we as a movement, and I believe Mandela as a human being, aren't satisfied with what public opinion is, and the whole point of, of organizing is to move that opinion. At this point, we have to win this election with public opinion where it is, and that's organizing too. We need people where they are, and then not, not leaving them where they are, trying to move them to somewhere more constructive and more humane and progressive. People, 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 people. That means you. We gotta, you got to get out and vote. Please, if you live in Milwaukee, we actually have two different locations. We're launching both an effort on the north side of Milwaukee in support of our endorsement of a common council candidate. And then we're also going to be in the 21st Assembly District at one of our board members' houses, Guy Costello. We'll have all those details. We're going to be in Eau Claire. We're going to be in Wausau, Green Bay. And again, on the phones, people, please get involved. This is this is how we determine who actually shows up, how you can shift what actually a poll, what, what we're seeing in these polls. Robert, before we go to break, there's one other thing I want to mention, and we can talk more about it on the back end. Sarah Godlewski, our good friend, Sarah Godlewski, co-op member and uh, 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 state treasurer, just announced that she is launching a pack, and I love it. It's to go after Ron Johnson and to support six women running in the state legislature on the issue of abortion specifically. I just think it's a fantastic idea. Uh, Want to get your thoughts after the break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, for the break, mentioned it broke today. Sarah Godlewski, uh, Secretary Treasurer. I was going to call her Lieutenant Governor. Good Lord, maybe. Maybe someday. Uh, sec 
uh, a treasurer. treasurer. She's not, she's state not treasurer. The, she's not the top official of a union hey, either. Yo, yo, I got it. I'll get there. Our state treasurer. But really, why I'm mentioning her right now is her fantastic idea and what she's idea. She's doing it has a pack to support women running for state legislature. And we got some damn good ones, uh, but also to really go after Ron Johnson and support these women around uh, abortion, which is <laughs> we'll talk more about it. Lindsey Graham only making it more of an issue this week. Robert. Yeah, I think Sarah is doing what we all need to do. She is continuing to use her agency, her ability to make change. She's not crying over skilt milk. I know she very much wanted to be the U.S. Senate nominee and be in this uh, contest with Ron Johnson. But she is now doing everything she can with who she is and her skills and her connections to try to influence what is a, a threat to the equal status of women. More than the threat, it's already happened in nearly half the country, where women are second-class citizens and white Republican legislators get to decide what they their, their own physical autonomy and their own healthcare decisions and what they can do with their own bodies. So, Robert, I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole idea. We talk a lot about MAGA. It's really become, and we talked about it on the last show, Make America Great Again, Trump. Biden's been re-injecting re it into the elections. We always remind folks, and I, you've got a great one here about this week, how it's really corporate America in this power that is behind a lot of what's going on. Robert, there's and, and campaign contributions is where you often see this. There's uh, new information out, I believe, this week that you have uh, for us that makes this connection. Yeah, I think everyone remembers right after the attempted insurrection that a lot of our corporate leaders uh, may, said they were going to reevaluate their fundraising, you know, what they actually gave to candidates, all of their massive political spending in order to distort our political system. And uh, they were going to, and, and some of them temporarily cut off uh, people who actually voted to certify the election. Well, of course, once they got their headlines out, their press releases, everything changed. Um, and so a, a group called American Democracy uh, Scoreboard, uh, Scorecard, did a rating of all of the major Fortune 500 companies. There's actually one in Wisconsin, Northwest Mutual, that is in that. And they do not fare well, but most of the corporate titans, all the big name brands you know got d's or f's okay actually there are a couple that didn't like costco got a b just for example uh so they're not giving that much to people who want to destroy voting rights or overturn elections uh but it's very it can f for northwest mutual by the way uh by the way nike gets a b so there's some a little, a little bit in there but it, it overall it's a failing class and what people forget is there's money behind this attack on democracy that is making it possible, and it's the big powers in our country. You have to follow the money. The money is in co big corporations. They're the ones making book as we, as we have rising inequality, and a lot of people are left out, especially based on race or, or, or other factors. But everyone, inequality is, is skyrocketed. And so we need to be clear as to who's really behind this. They're the Oz behind the curtain. 
So don't just uh, look at Lindsey Graham. There'll be another Lindsey Graham propped up or Ron Johnson or Robin Voss or Tim Michaels very quickly to take their place as shills for companies that really only care about short-term balance sheets and don't apparently think that it's a having that losing democracy will affect their business models, which is just sadly short-sighted. It's, it's not even true, but they don't care. They'll have their money apparently and they'll park it overseas and they'll expatriate if things get expatriate if things get bad, Matt. Look, what I what I think's important, we've talked about this for almost two years now, pretty much since the January 6th insurrection. And I've talked about how this will be the first election, national election since the insurrection. And that is still needs to be the defining issue. And all of us, not only this cycle, but when Trump runs next cycle, or if it is that Ron DeSantis, who we'll get to later, <laughs> that we're all being challenged to ask this question of ourselves around small d democracy and this experiment that supposedly we're all involved in because it is really at stake with these mega types. And so corporate America, you know, the same, the same question is sent to them. And Robert, it's obvious that power is more important and it's this they've made the same decision that people like McCarthy did after January 6th when he re-empowered Trump and cut the deal to support and align up all these mega candidates. You know, if corporate America really wanted to have been against it, it could have at that point told McCarthy that they were out and they weren't going to be a part of any plan that was going to col collaborate with the insurrectionist, the insurrectionist president. So it's the same moral dilemma that we all are going to uh, make when we go to the polls, right? There's a whole lot of issues going on, but this, this is a fundamental one. And if it remains a defining one, along with abortion um, and a number of other issues, right? We can win in spite of a really tough time because of what's going on with inflation. And <laughs> we're going to talk more about that. It gets me... Gets me going on the Fed, Robert, I'm, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what I said. And I also do want us to comment. You mentioned Lindsey Graham, right? He could go away. Well, you know what? He didn't go away. He is there. And he did introduce an abortion bill that tell, represents everything we're saying, who's in control. You know, so it may, may quote, not be strategic, but it's what's going to happen. If the Republicans win, Robert, Lindsey Graham, your thoughts on his his inserting himself into the national election? Well, they continue to not be able to help themselves. I mean, they if they they thought they'd win this election in a landslide if it was just about inflation and Biden and other fears out there as we're not fully out of covid. Uh, so there's so they keep uh, they keep making themselves the incumbents. And then they can't get on the same page. They remind me of Democrats a bit in that they're not all on the same hymn book, right? And it's because they, they're just rotten with perfection is a term used by one uh, 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 serious uh, philosopher of the 20th century, Kenneth Burke. They just feel like they have to say these things. Now, what's interesting is I heard Republican strategists claim that it's reasonable, that it's balanced. It's not as extreme as... Uh, the state, some state, a lot of the states are going, the red states. Well, guess what? It lets them do that 
it's actually a bill that only applies to the blue states. So it wants to make sure that states decide, and it can be as draconian as possible if there are states, but if they're their states, we're going to decide. Uh, that's what it is. And the other thing is, and PolitiFact is included in this, anyone who actually believes Ron Johnson that he wouldn't vote for this once given another six-year term right. is, uh, I don't know, there, buy some Florida coastal land right now that's going to be underwater in a decade or two. And so he's now wants a referendum. Now that's interesting. You can't don't have uh, legislation by referendum, the initiative in Wisconsin. But even if you did, does he really want that? Because a referendum would defeat it. We know he doesn't. He it tells you how desperate he is. He's desperate to get out from under this issue. And I think vote. I think in this case, voters are going to see through it. Why would you trust Ron Johnson to protect your constitutional rights if you're if you're a woman? Well. Look, brings us full circle back to um, Sarah Godlewski. Very important effort to draw attention. And I was just thinking to myself before I had read that, you know, we really, Ron has not been hit hard enough and thought, you know, thoroughly on, on this issue, particularly the way Michael's has in the ads, I'll just say. And I think Sarah's effort may help that. Plus, I just also want to underscore I love that she's supporting these women running for state legislature because it's something that, you know, it's dear to us. We we put so much effort into thinking about that damn gerrymandered uh, state legislature, but it's super important to us here. Right. And and so kudos. But with that, we're going to take a break, Robert. We got to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about the UW Health nurses and the amazing uh, news this week uh, but we'll be right back you're listening to the battle in wisconsin welcome back to the battleground wisconsin we are super excited to be joined by a uw health nurse her name is sherry signer sherry thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me so, Sherry, we are having you on because it was a huge news this week that you all came to an agreement over the weekend, I believe, and then you all voted on it. And it, uh, you can tell us more about it, but uh, came to an agreement with UW Health that does isn't necessarily a full union, but it is a major step to recognizing you and heading on a pathway, hopefully, to unionization. Tell our listeners more and why we should be so excited about it. Uh, yeah, it's extremely exciting. Um, so for the last three years at UW, we have been fighting to try to get our union back into the hospital. Um, I've been in the movement for the full three years, um, and I've been uh, heavily involved in it. Uh, our, our movement took so long because of the fact that COVID happened and we had to take a step back and focus on COVID protection. Um, and then that that put some little snags in our plans of just walking into board meetings and such uh, because everything was virtual. So, but for the last three years, we have been fighting uh, for our union. Things have gotten, had gotten much worse in the hospital for our patients and our staff. And we finally came to the decision that we were gonna strike over the issues that we're having. And thankfully the hospital, um, after three very long days of mediation with the governor's assistance um, and the assistance of work, um, we came to an agreement uh, with administration, and it was um, through our united strength 
that we won this ground groundbreaking agreement um, that gives us an actual union voice at the hospital. So for ourselves, our patients and our community. So it's very, very exciting. I've, I've been a nurse there for um, 15 years, an employee for almost 20. And I'm just really excited to uh, have a voice again to be able to advocate for our patients. Well, first of all, congratulations. Um, I actually have a very, my wife's uh, best friend works at UW. So I've heard, and, and all the way back, she worked back before when the union was taken away from Scott Walker. And so have from a, a, a bit of a distance tracked what you've all been doing. But so congratulations to all of you. So tell us what's next. Like what, what, um, when do you expect to potentially have more information that might take you further down the road? Uh, yeah, we're actually, um, SCIU is helping us to establish our first meet and discuss meeting with Alan Kaplan and whoever else will be involved in that. Um, they're, they're educating us all on actually some of our next steps and some of the things that as, as nurses, not laborists, uh, <laughs> labor people, we, we needed to know. So, um, our first steps will just be meeting again. We've been having, uh, weekly meetings at least once or twice a week, um, to discuss what's most important to all of us, how we, um, get strategies as far as voting processes and, you know, picking actual members like president and um, peer support. Um, that's a huge thing that we won for the hospital was peer support back into the hospital. So um, kind of figuring out how we get our information disseminated to nurses, um, trying to start bargaining strategies on, you know, on some of these logistical things. Well, first of all, I want to tell our listeners, we need to stay engaged and we, we, we'll definitely have you back on anytime there's new information because this this may not be the end, right? This We don't know. UW may change their position. There's an election. We know the governor was involved. So I want to encourage our listeners, we have to stay in full 100% support because mm -hmm. uh, there may be a change where, where, where these nurses need our support. Um, but I want to quickly shift and ask a question to you. We've been talking about y'all before this, because we see your fight really, really important in the broader fight of workers across this country who've gone through this pandemic, um, who are trying to organize and th the growth of the labor movement in challenging times. What's more challenging than nurses organizing in the middle of a pandemic when their even basic right to have a union is in question. Um, so just your thoughts on how, you know, do you guys see yourself? Are you aware that like um, you guys are really important, I think, and a lot of folks see that. Um, your thoughts on that? You know, we weren't aware of that when we started this. This was really just us trying to understand what our rights were. And especially as the, I think the, first and only people to have had a union and lost it and then to win it back. That's huge. Um, or to be on a path to fully win it back. That's, that's even bigger. Um, as, as this has gone on and more, um, nurses have reached out to us from all over the country. Um, you know, yes, we, we realize that this is a huge movement and for, uh, all workers. And we hope that it really inspires people to see the strength that, um, that you have when you join together as one large group, the community strength, political strength, um, you know, everybody's support has, 
it has been definitely necessary um, to help us to get where we are. Um, the, the support of other unions was was huge for us. Um, so yeah, it's it's been really fun to to kind of see how this all unfolds. Robert. Well, congratulations, Sherry. And I know you didn't have a legal levers. Uh, you had it was public pressure, right? It was getting the whole community behind the nurses and exposing the hospital, which certainly would rather control everything and not give workers any kind of voice at work and not giving nurses and health professionals a, work, a, a voice at work actually harms the hospital, makes care less effective. Why would you want to shut out the caregivers? But that's what bosses tend to want to do. It is shocking. I mean, state employees and school employees in Act 10 got very uh, weak union representation, but a way to have it potentially, right? Uh, they abolished it or, or thought they abolished it for the public health authority because UW Health had moved from being a public hospital to something under another part of the statute called a public authority. And Scott Walker just eliminated all rights, took them out of collective bargaining rights altogether. The hospitals, the, the UW hospital places claim they don't have any, they can't work with a union, that they're somehow prohibited. And I know SEI, and you'll always have these arguments and reasons. I mean, in the Starbucks campaign, they all have their arguments but you really back them down on that. What it, what was the what is the position of SEIU on on that question of whether they can voluntarily recognize a union? Um, you know they they still are sort of standing. They they've recognized. Well, I can't say recognize because that's a legal term. So they are allowing our union into the organization, um, but they are waiting on the um, for work to. Uh, make a decision as to whether or not we um, fall under protection of the Peace Act. And that's so, the state the state version of the National Labor Relations Board, the Wisconsin Employee Relations Commission, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So we, through this agreement, we have agreed to go jointly to, to uh, work and um, make an appeal with them to see if we have protection. And then, um, you know, we, we do believe, because we have been working with some of the strongest labor lawyers in the state, that we have a very strong case and that um, soon they will have to legally or voluntarily recognize our union. But for now they are allowing the union back into the hospital. We can't face retaliation anymore uh, for talking about union activity in the hospital. Um, so that's, that's, that's big news. I mean, I think this is the more of the kind of organizing we need of workers to build the union movement, which is the only way to shift power in this country and to create a much more equitable economy, because we've lost a lot of that. But in addition, this is the kind of organizing we need to do on everything. I mean, if we want to really back down big pharma, health insurance industry, the hospital association, we need to organize more like the UW nurses just did. So this is a great example of how to relearn the tool of grassroots movements and progressive public pressure upon, you know, bad actors in our system. Yep, I agree. You know, in the hospital, a lot of us have been there. Like I said, I've been there for 15 years. I, I truly love UW. I love this community. And I think that is where the, the heart of this is coming from, is the fact that the nurses really truly are dedicated to their patients. They're dedicated to the facility. 
when I started at UW almost 20 years ago, that was a coveted job to get into less than 2% turnover rate. So when you got in, you didn't leave. And it was a family. It was a community. We worked together closely with our CEO. She knew everything that was happening. Um, and it was just such a different environment that it was worth, it's worth fighting for. And to know what we used to have to what I have now, um, as somebody who does not plan on leaving this city or the state, really, I don't believe, um, that's going to be my hospital at some point. So I have to stand up and fight for it. And every single person is a potential patient, you know, no matter where, what you do. And so I think that's where people um, to really, they have to really love what they do and love the company that, that they know it can be or what it was before to get involved with this. Well, as a former union organizer of nurses and healthcare workers, I am so thrilled. And I think it's shameful that they don't recognize you right away, that they're even going to this process. Um, folks, I'm going to reiterate, we're going to be ready to have their back if UW, UW Health does not ultimately sit down and bargain and recognize these nurses. It's, it's uh, shameful that we're even in this point. But I want to thank you, Sherry, for and all the nurses for fighting and inspiring us. And we're going to be there for you. Uh, but thank you so much for also coming and uh, uh, talking with us today. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome, folks. We got to take a break. Again, we're going to keep an eye on this story. Uh, we may not have heard the last, but uh, solidarity to all those amazing nurses. They are superheroes. We'll, we'll be right back here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, there is news that I want to hear from you. I, I heard it. I heard actually a story on NPR um, around the child poverty rate. Um, this is the lowest it's been in a long time. And it's very clear that a lot of it has to do with policies that were implemented to combat COVID and, and policies uh, that passed under the Biden administration. Uh, Robert, a little more on the details for our listeners about why this is important and why, I mean, just if we want to talk about why this is also important for the November election. So child poverty has been a horrendous issue in the United States for a long time in the richest country in the world. And with stunning numbers of kids living in poverty and very strong social scientific evidence that it stunts their whole life prospects, okay, to grow up in poverty for a variety of reasons that I think our educated audience is well aware of already. So what's interesting is the child tax credit, which just didn't get the attention it ought to have, and the media is partly to blame for that. This was a huge deal. There was, as part of the American Rescue Plan, a temporary child tax credit that actually raised the income of poor and, and working class families. People above the official poverty rate is not the real poverty rate. In other words, it's too low. There are people above that line that probably double it are also in poverty and can't meet their basic expenses, okay? And so th this was tremendous expenditure, helped prevent a, uh, a, a, a great recession or depression. We forget that without the major investments of 2021 that Republicans are wringing their hands on, didn't vote for, but tried to take credit for in their states, right? Hey, Robert, could you argue that, the uh, real quick to interrupt, are the numbers similar to like 
we talk often about Social Security and Medicare for its critical importance in cutting poverty for seniors and older folks in this country. Are the numbers similar? Because if they are, that's historic. So the poverty rate in 2020 was 9.7% for children. Remember, probably double, at least double number of children are, are in families that can't meet their basic expenses, okay? The poverty rate is set super low. And why it doesn't get changed, that's the kind of thing where government's ossified. That's something we should do, actually, is set the poverty rate at the actual amount you need to survive, right? And and uh, so it was 9.7%. The end of 2021, it was at 5.2%. The lowest level of child poverty on record. We've been keeping statistics a very long time in the United States of America on record. And all, remember all the right-wing arguments about dependency and about discouraging people to work and blah, 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 all these excuses not to have a basic social safety net, right? Well, None of that stuff worked. Vouchers didn't work, right? Uh, all the various work requirements, uh, et cetera. But it's about, remember James Carville famously said in 1992, it's the economy stupid. It's the income stupid. This raised working people's income who had children dramatically and therefore it reduced poverty dramatically. And so what's interesting is, is that there may be a play after the election to make this permanent. Um, A number of the Trump tax cuts are sunsetting, and there's a group of Senate Democrats that want to go and, in that process, do this instead of some of those tax giveaways. And so there will be a push. Obviously, I think uh, you would have to do it through budget reconciliation, and you would need a Mandela Barnes uh, and a John Fetterman in office and ho- to have a two-vote Senate majority and still hold the House. But it's possible we could restore this. So this does show you great things are possible, Matt, that would be wildly popular. One problem is it was complicated. People were getting it, and they just didn't realize. They didn't attribute it to decisions by President Biden and Democrats and didn't attribute it going away to Republicans. And that's malpractice. This is always, Robert, we talked about this. This is always a problem with our programs. They're not, first of all, they're not packaged well in terms of the people who receive them. I can tell you during the stimulus, there were businesses that were getting small business loans that they would not have gotten without the stimulus money. Who didn't know that? They didn't know their businesses wouldn't exist without the stimulus at the time. So that's bad. But the other problem, Robert, is we on the liberal and I, you know, I say that with a little bit of scorn because we have fallen in love with means testing and this shit often where we means test things to death also is another reason why they often don't get quite the attention they deserve. That's and the sometimes, beauty of Social Security and Medicare. Absolutely. And it also makes them incredibly politically popular, whereas when you means test, you limit the popularity and you immediately start to build an us versus them. For except for, what except is for, often the reason why you're often providing it means testing is because you believe it is so critically important that people get it and can't function without it. Why not just give it say we're going to give it to everyone? Because I'm telling you, I think one thing the pandemic showed us is we do have the money, folks, to take care of ourselves and we need to own that. That's like the big thing is we can do this. We can do this, folks. It's about values, Matt. That's right. So the Republicans are happy to give money to themselves, Johnson to have special giveaways to billionaire donors and write his campaign and to himself, but unwilling to help poor kids, right? 
That is what's going on. There's plenty of money. It's a question of where it is going. And we're seeing that in spades right now in Mississippi with the Jackson water crisis, because there was enough money to do dramatic fixes to the water system in Jackson. The state of Mississippi under a Republican governor took the money from the federal government and spent it on wealthier suburban areas, mostly white areas. What they did is they required the local area match the amount and Jackson is too poor to match it. So it's almost like the Jim Crow voting things. It was technically colorblind, but it had a racist impact. And now we have that some of that money, welfare money from the federal government was purloined by Brett Favre. Favre. In Favre. order to build Despicable. a fancy uh, volleyball court at his alma mater, Southern Miss, where his daughter plays volleyball. And he is a multi, multi-millionaire. He could have spent the $5 million. But no, he was getting it out of state welfare funds through his connection for the previous Republican governor in Mississippi, not the current one. Though the current one, Tate Reeves, who wants to be president, like a lot of them do, is very blamable for the Jackson water crisis. And so you're in the capital of Jack. I mean, it, it's a microcosm of our unwillingness to invest in the people who need help, those who are deserving, and our willingness to give more money to people who are doing more than just fine, that have generational wealth. And so child poverty is the same thing. Here's the thing. I, I'm going to quote a pundit. I don't usually, but they had a good way of putting it, right? I keep saying that we don't only have to save the mechanism of democracy. We have to prove to people that democracy can work, they improve their lives. They put it even better. They said, we need to prove democracy is worth saving. You know what? The child tax credit and actually doing that, the climate stuff that was done and, and beginnings on health care and Inflation Reduction Act, those are proofs democracy is worth saving. We need a lot more of them because people need to be motivated to make sure to come out in this election and make sure that we don't have Governor Tim Michaels and that there is no more Senator Ron Johnson. He's a bad memory, like McCarthy, Senator McCarthy of this state was. So- Thank you for all that. I it's absolutely right. I I need to before we go, Robert, I have to vent. I got to vent. I've talked about this before. And so I admit it's not necessarily the bailiwick of the show. It's not necessarily about Wisconsin or local politics. It's the Fed, Robert. <laughs> it's it's the Fed. I am calling again for us as a movement for progressives. We need to think about this unelected Fed, the power it has, how it really doesn't. It, it's hardly on the side of workers. Robert, it is seriously careening again towards a massive rate increase. And we had all the hyper ventilating with overinflation again this week. Oh, because the stock market hyperventilated, right? Like, there's all this group think about inflation. Well, you know, I think it's way overblown and I think it's they're like trying to crush the economy. And I'm sorry, I just feel like this Fed is unelected. I think I disagree with their economic take on this. I think they're overblowing the inflation that I've said and you're already seeing that. Um and I'm it, it strikes me as somewhat political and um whether it is or whether it's not, because I don't want it to be in a Democratic Republican, as workers, as regular people, 
as movement progressives, I think we have to have a long-term conversation about this because it has way too much control over our economy, Robert. As you know, I see this more as a dilemma. Um, look, the reason we use the Fed is because democracy is broken. We shouldn't rely entirely on monetary policy. That is, and monetary policy is like the price of money. Inflation rates simply make it more expensive to borrow when you move interest rates up. And yes, it's the only their only lever. And what it does is it slows down the economy, which means the people most vulnerable pay the price. It's a dilemma in that we do have a broken Congress that could be fixing inflation on its own. And we have for quite a long time. It didn't just start with Trump. And in addition, there's division among economists we respect on inflation. Inflation is a giant public concern. We have to admit that. And it does harm working class and low-income people. And so it it is a I, I don't like it. It you're you're your outrage, not, I, as you know, this Robert, I'm not outrage here. that our only solution to, uh, to to controlling inflation is to harm working people. That's appropriate with and an maybe, unelected body, right? Like it, Robert. I, I know, you but, said it. I know Congress isn't functioning, but like if Congress this wasn't it to them, right? I, but it's just we, right. Then we as progressives need to have a discussion and inject it into our the party we're operating yes. in that this is not okay right and put it back on the agenda it gets back to economic literacy it's a longer show but it's very frustrating and you can't someone... have a filibuster in already a minority senate and have the senate and congress govern our economy and so there's shit in the democratic party side the extreme right wing of it that needs to get fixed right, right. and we actually don't know we know that we think the only opponents to removing the filibuster mansion and cinema I think there are a couple other Democrat senators that are standing behind them and they're going to have to be called out. I think the two senators in New Hampshire are examples. I think the senator from Delaware, Chris Coons, I think the senator from Virginia, Warner, could be problems, but we're going to have to be ready for that. But and we've got to make Congress function. The Fed, you know, William Greider made a great, wrote a great long book on the Fed years and years ago, Secrets of the Cat, Secrets of the of the castle or something like that i'm botching the title secrets of something and yeah the fed is 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 a far less than ideal institution the one reason i want to put brakes on this is this fed has been relatively speaking much better than the alan greenspan era and the era in the 80s and 90s where we were totally screwed it's cared about jobs but it still is probably it may well be making a big mistake like you said but it's all on it because there's no other active, no other major yeah. activity in the economy other than its limited tool, we, which is our we, our fault. We're running late. We gotta go, everybody. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We will be back next week. Want to thank UW Health Nurse Sherry. She was fantastic, folks. We're gonna we're gonna keep an eye on this. We got their back. Also, thank our producer Brian Wilder, who makes this show happen every week. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin.